tell you, one of the great things about uh, being out on Christmas Eve and on New Year's is that you know you just don't have any listeners. <laughs> you could do all this great stuff. <laughs> you know, it had nothing to do with listeners. You know, after one. I, I think that would be the uh, the perfect uh, concept of the perfect TV show or the perfect nightclub show or the perfect radio show. If you could eliminate the listeners, boy, you could do some fantastic stuff. That's cynical. Excuse me. Oh, there's nothing to teach you the mortality of your own soul than a sip of medium luke cold coffee out of a out of a cup here made out of paper. Incidentally, yeah, yeah, you know, there's a special taste with the paper. You know, mixes with the coffee, and there's a special brand brand of coffee that's being produced for people who live their lives out in offices and drink this rotten coffee out of paper cups. It's a coffee that when ground and 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 brewed blends perfectly with the taste of a dissolving paper cup and therefore produces a palatable cup of coffee. You know, it's a, that's known as working with your problems. Now, uh, on the other hand, now here it is, it's Christmas Eve. I, it's a, what do you say about Christmas Eve? You know, you could sing... Uh, Old, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll tell. I was uh, just thinking, you know, Christmas Eve is a funny, very strange evening for most people in a big city. You always, every year, no matter what year, I can't remember a year when I didn't talk to people who said, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what there is about this Christmas. Uh, I just can't get in the mood. It, does, it just doesn't seem like Christmas to me this year. How many times have you heard that? <laughs> I can't remember one year where they didn't say that. But, uh, you know, it's just uh, uh, the, at the last minute there's a curious spurt of whatever it is that uh, makes people do whatever it is that makes people do. And I uh, I think since it is uh, Christmas Eve, I'm not going to even try to do a, a formal-type show, really. Uh, I can remember, uh, speaking of Christmas Eve, you know, Christmas is a curious time of, uh, I think one of the reasons why there's a great number of suicides, you know, over this period, you probably know that, over the period of Christmas, New Year's, that whole thing, is that the, for the first time, many people are literally forced to accept the fact that they, too, have a memory. You know, <laughs> a lot of people, no, a lot of people do not remember clearly last Wednesday uh, in their daily lives. They simply don't. Uh, and and uh, it's like it's like the mind is some kind of a cosmic tape recorder, but it has a built-in eraser. And uh, as as uh, stuff happens to you, you walk around and you see the world, you see things. Your mind is careful erasing it. Uh, only the trouble with that is that it's a curious kind of eraser. It works sporadically. And furthermore, it seems to work without any specific rhyme nor reason. Important things that you say to yourself at the time when they happen, I'm going to remember this. It's a fantastic moment in my life. About six minutes later, you can't remember it. <laughs> you know, you really can't. On the other hand, totally trivial, idiotic things will stick with you constantly. Now, this, this drives... Uh, uh, psychologists right up the tree for, for for a number of reasons. Because for one thing, you're supposed to you know you're supposed to go through your life picking up traumatic experiences that uh, forever change you. 
Well, most of us don't. You know, we just sort of flub along, and uh, we don't hardly remember one year from the next. Uh, half the time, if you ran into the bank, whenever you're making out a check, you know, and you're standing in the bank there, and there's about 500 people around, the guards around there, do you ever have to remind yourself what year it is? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a seventy. you know. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's sad. That's bad news, but it's the way the mind works. You're not the only one. You're really not the only one. I mean, I'm sure that... Uh, that this happens uh, even in more cosmic situations. I mean, uh, I'm sure that the president wakes up some morning and says, hey, what the hell? What, 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 oh, yeah, that's right, I'm president. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it must be, uh, well, at least for for now, anyway. It, uh, it must be, uh, uh, I wonder what Agnew's waking up to do. I mean, uh, what does he think? I mean, yeah. Well, you know, I, I, uh, this is, uh, these things are the kind of things that cross your mind at a, at a time like uh, Christmas, you run around and you see things, and you, you, your mind keeps uh, keeps uh, popping them over. You know, since this is Christmas Eve, I'm walking down through Times Square uh, here. Uh, this, in fact, uh, over this entire weekend, walking around Times Square because this is where we are. Here. This this, this uh, hotbed of sin is right here off of Times Square. Yeah, we're thinking of putting in a good line of pornies. And, uh, you know, going all the way. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Make Channel 9 sing. But uh, nevertheless, uh, we uh, can you imagine pornies with uh, Preparation H commercials coming on between reels? And uh, the lady plumber. And all. I, I mean, it's, it's, uh, see, that's what's... Uh, why, why is my mind like this? It shouldn't be like this. Now, for heaven's sakes, I should think cosmic thoughts like Dustin Hoffman. And, uh, you know, stand up straight and do all that stuff. But uh, nevertheless, here it is. It's Christmas Eve, and uh, we're uh, you know still here. We're still flubbing along. And you know, while on the subject of Christmas Eve, I'm I was going through Times Square. And seeing I, nothing changes in Times Square. They, uh, the, for example, there's uh, there's one store down here, a Pony Store. I love I love to see this little touch of the classic uh, tradition. I go past this Pony Store down there, and here they had this whole collection of uh, it says adult slides. They had them in the whatever an adult slide is. They had adult slides in the window there, see. <laughs> and underneath it, it says, special gift offer uh, for someone really special on your list. And uh, it had a little uh, mistletoe on the... Somehow I like the idea of mistletoe on a collection of adult porny slides. Uh, you know you know what mistletoe means, don't you? You know that business of hanging mistletoe. Somehow uh, the idea of a guy going to a, a giant... Uh, uh, adult-type origin, hanging mistletoe uh, from the ceiling, has a certain uh, panache to it. But uh, while we're on the subject of panaches here, uh, excuse me here, may I do a commercial, gentlemen? You know, I hate to interrupt you in there, but I'd like to do one here. It's for your father's mustache. Are they open uh, over this? Sure, I guess they are. Uh, your father's mustache is placed down on 7th Avenue and 10th Street, and uh, it's down the village. It's a... Uh, it's a you know it's a wild place. There's always a big line out there, but it's a great place to go in and have a little dish of inexpensive shrimp. That's that sounds like a contradiction in terms. Uh, chicken, burgers, and great suds. They have a live Dixieland band. They sing along, you know, and hit and holler at each other, and wear straw hats, and they have classic old time movies. And uh, if you wind wind up there at your father's mustache at uh, the corner of 7th Avenue and 10th Street. It's down the village, if you're going to the village. Uh, that's where it is, 7th and 10th, right in the heart of Sheridan Square there. You just walk up and you say, Excelsior, you fathead, and they'll let you in free. 
And, of course, uh, that is after after they've dashed the water in your face when the bartenders hit you in the mouth after you've said that. But uh, you'll be you'll be all right down there. Now, do you have another one in there for me? It's on a cartridge. Yes, hit the button there, please. The world's greatest magicians perform at the World Festival of Magic and the Occult, the weirdest show on earth. An unforgettable experience. Bring the whole family. You can hold each other's hands. The World Festival of Magic and the Occult, the weirdest show on earth. Wednesday, December 12th through Sunday, December 30th at the Felt Forum in Madison Square Garden Center. For ticket information, call 212-564-4400. Tickets also at Ticketron. All right, would you prepare those uh, real knocked-out uh, mean piano things in there for me? I, since this is Christmas Eve, and uh, I have a thing here for you. Now, it is not well known, but uh, you will know it after I do this for you, that Robert Service... Uh, Robert Service, who's the guy that uh, wrote uh, The Shooting of Dan McGrew and The Cremation of Sam McGee, wrote a couple of uh, rather interesting Christmas poems. <laughs> and uh, and uh, typical, you know, speaking of, uh, of uh, here I am you know, about to read some, some uh, Robert Service on the radio on Christmas Eve. But uh, that reminded me of something. Now, I don't know why I was reminded of it. In fact, I saw a, an LP of this the other day in a in a record shop where they sell nothing but uh, you know real remainder LPs like uh, bongo music uh, played by Lawrence Welk. I mean, you know, can you imagine <laughs> people buying this? But uh, there it is. And uh, I was going through this thing, and here was an LP of a famous. Christmas Eve radio show that was like a tradition. You know, there aren't many mass media traditions. Now, what is a tradition? A tradition is like uh, something that is repeated year after year and it assumes, it kind of assumes a, a classical, timeless quality about it. And at one time, there was a radio show that was broadcast every Christmas Eve, and I can remember my father and mother listening to it all the time, and I couldn't quite understand what the, uh, how can I say, what, what, what it was about, but they listened to it, and it seemed to be part of Christmas, and they'd have it on all the time. What was that radio show? And I'll tell you, the lead character, it was a drama, and the lead character was played by a famous American actor. Now, how's that for a piece of, of genuine trivia? But it wasn't trivial because, you know what I, I'm beginning to believe? I've only, I'm beginning to believe that, that uh, some of the really great stuff that happened on the radio or television is never talked about much. Uh, always the really bad stuff gets to be later appreciated, <laughs> really. And I don't know why this is so, but it happens to be. Now, who did this uh, performance? And they even had LPs out on it. There were LPs available on this show, and probably somebody in this country right now is playing it on a radio station someplace. Not in New York, as far as I know, but uh, what, what, what was the production? Well, since nobody seems to know, I won't answer it. <laughs> I'll just let you say, hang by your thumbs. The hell with you. This is WOR New York, and uh, you know, uh, I, that's, you know. I, I of course, uh, Christmas uh, has many facets, and here is here is one of Robert Service's poems about Christmas, 
And if you'll give me a little typical Robert service. Yeah, that's it. That's the kid at the piano there playing the jag time. As he says, jag time tune. Bring it up there. I guess he meant rag, but he wrote jag. Playing a jag time tune. This is Robert W. Service, written in 1903. My father Christmas passed away when I was barely seven. At 21, a lack of day, I lost my hope of heaven. Yet not in either lies the curse. The hell of it's because I don't know which hurt the worse. My God or Santa Claus. <laughs> That's a cynical little piece, but that, that, not bad. That's an interesting, interesting... It's it's a, it's a it's very unusual for for service because service wrote long narrative poems generally complete with all kinds of curious allusions but this is direct clean and to the point and it's absolutely timeless. My father Christmas passed away when I was barely seven. At twenty one, a lack a day, I lost my hope of heaven. Yet not in either lies the curse. The hell of it's because I don't know which loss hurt the worse. My God or Santa Claus. <laughs> what happened to him at 21 that he lost the hope of ever going to heaven? What did he do? What happened at seven that made him forever forget Santa Claus? Now here's a classical Almost a, a well. This is a classical Robert Service poem, and this again is about Christmas. It's called "The Trapper's Christmas Eve." Now you, you got to remember that that Service wrote about Alaska mostly. His greatest poems were about the Klondike and the Yukon, and he spent a lot of winters in the Klondike. And in fact, he was part of the Great Gold Rush of the 1890s up in the Klondike, the Whitehorse region. And he knew that cold weather. In fact, when he finally got out of Alaska, he promised himself he would never be cold again in his life. And he went to live on the French Riviera and never was cold again in his life. All right, this is the Trapper's Christmas Eve. It's mighty lonesome-like and drear. Above the wild, the moon rides high and shows up sharp and needle-clear the emptiness of earth and sky. No happy homes with love aglow, no Santa Claus to make believe, just snow and snow and then more snow. It's Christmas Eve. It's Christmas Eve. And here I am where all things end, and undesirables are hurled. A poor old man without a friend, forgot and dead to all the world, clean out of sight and out of mind. Well, maybe it's better so. We all in life our level find, and mine, I guess, is pretty low. Yet I sit with pipe alight beside the cabin fire. It's queer this mind of mine must take tonight the backward trail of 50 years 
the schoolhouse and the Christmas tree, the children with their cheeks aglow, two bright blue eyes that smile on me, just half a century ago. Again, it's maybe 40 years when faith and trust almost divine, these same blue eyes abrim with tears through depths of love look into mine, a parting, tender, soft and low, with arms that cling and lips that cleave. It's long ago. Yet it seems clear this Christmas Eve. Just 30 years ago, again, we say a bitter last goodbye. Our lips are white with wrath and pain. Our children cling and cry. Whose, whose was the fault? Well, it matters not, for men and women both deceive. It's buried now and all forgot. Forgiven, too, this Christmas Eve. And she, God pity me, is dead. Our children, men and women grown, I like to think that they are wed with children of their own that crowd around their Christmas tree or would not ever have them grieve or shed a single tear for me to mar their joy this Christmas Eve. Stripped to the buff and gaunt and still lies all the land in grim distress like lost soul wailing long and shrill a wolf howl cleaves the emptiness and then hushed as death is everything. The moon rise haggard and forlorn. Oh, hark the herald angels sing. <laughs> God bless old men. It's Christmas morn. <laughs> he has a great irony about him. So he's in the middle of all. Listen to this great line. The moon rides haggard and forlorn. It's a great description of the moon, haggard and forlorn. Thank you. That's that's great. Uh, he's he's got a couple of others. Did you did you ever hear about the uh, the bomb on Christmas Eve? Uh, <laughs> you know that that reminds me of something though. I mean everybody everybody once in a great while. Do you ever look back uh, and and think about curious, completely unexpected Christmases that you may have spent? You know that's one of the things that makes uh, holidays important. You know that. That every society of men, even the most primitive, celebrates holidays. It seems to be a basic urge of man to somehow put on a paper cap, to put on a paper hat and blow a horn. And uh, it's a symbolic thing, you know. It is very much so. No matter what you call it, the idea of everybody celebrating a certain thing at a certain time, everybody seems to be endemic to man, no matter what condition he's in. And the one thing that these days do is that they set this day out, whatever the, whatever the celebration is, whatever you call it in whatever society it is, it sets that day apart from all the other days of the year, the 364 others, which are just like any other Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. And for that reason... You can remember that day if you really seriously think about it. You know, you really remember it. Well, uh, I've, I've spent some strange Christmases, and, and uh, when, you, when you're in a business or in a, in a world, or if you've lived a certain kind of life, now I think many people, many people's lives are comparatively straight line. And uh, my life, is, is because of being in show business, being in the Army and one thing or another, 
I'm my life is not like uh, the the kind of guy who lives a life of uh, almost static straight line activity. So that one Christmas seems very much like the next to people who have lived in the same house and who visit the relatives every Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever it might be. And so their lives tend to become sort of homogenous. You follow what I'm saying here? If you have lived the life of, say, Willie Loman, Willie Loman from the death of a salesman, he, he, his Christmases are all different. <laughs> if he spends it in a hotel room in Boston, that's not quite the same as spending it around the family hearth in Darien. No way. Well, uh, one of my most curious uh, Christmases involves New York. And this was before I lived in New York, and I didn't even know anything about New York. Have you ever... Uh, uh, it, it's hard, you know, when I say, have you ever have you ever uh, actually remembered the first time you saw something really spectacular, like uh, the first time you saw the ocean? If you live in New York, you don't remember the first time you saw the ocean, I'm sure. Well, I remember the absolute first day I saw the ocean. And it really threw me. I remember really something else, you know. And uh, and uh, that was that was really something. I, mean, I looked out and said, that's the ocean. You know, you hear about the ocean all your life. Even if you're in Indiana, you know there's an Atlantic Ocean. And uh, you hear about it. Well, the first time I saw it, I mean, it was it was had a, a curious, traumatic experience. It was the ocean. Truly timeless. Well, I can remember the first day I saw New York City. Absolutely the first day I saw New York City. And it occurred one week before this strange Christmas that I'm about to tell you about. <laughs> and and uh, I was in the Army. Now, that's one of the great things about being in the Armed Forces that is never really talked much about. The Armed Forces give, and I'm not I'm certainly not pro-Army or pro-war or any of this stuff, but what it does do, it's a, almost a, a natural consequence of being in the Army or being in the Navy or the Marines or the Air Force, whatever it might be, is that it tends to to put your life into totally different tracks. It puts your life into different on different roadways that you never would have traveled had you not gone into those those things. I wonder how many guys' lives have been forever changed by being in the Army. And I don't mean by the traumatic experience of getting wounded or anything like that. I'm talking about it took you away from something and gave you a totally different perspective on life. And you never can turn back. Once you see something that uh, you only half suspected was there, it's difficult to ever return to the same innocence that you had prior to that glimpse of whatever it might be. And it's not necessarily paradise. It can be hell, too, you know. Once you find out there is a hell, you can never go back to Griffith, Indiana with the same view that you had before. I'm telling you the truth. So most people, unfortunately, have had not that kind of thing happen to them. But I remember this first time I came into New York. It was really cold. I mean really cold. And uh, I had been sent out to the East Coast. And uh, I was with this, uh, our company had been assigned out to the coast here for a brief course they were giving us in, in some esoteric piece of electronic equipment. I'd like to tell you that it was something quite, uh, you know, really romantic. 
But what it was was uh, was a piece of extremely technical electronic gear. You're curious what it was? Well, it uh, it had to do with uh, with a with a form of link uh, radio linkage. You've seen those uh, those towers up on on hills with the big parabolic reflector, which reflect a television station. They actually they're repeater stations. They repeat a television signal or they repeat uh, a telephone uh, signals. Well, we were working with some highly secret linkage equipment. Is what we were doing. Okay, so <laughs> we they they, they completely. Uh, cut out all leaves. No way. We got into New York. Actually, we weren't in New York. We were out of Fort Monmouth. And uh, we knew New York was over there. And I remember sitting in the barracks one night. And here I am. I'm in Fort Monmouth. How far is Fort Monmouth from New York? It's about 65 miles, 50 miles, 40 miles, not even that. And it's right right over in Jersey. So uh, I'm sitting in, in the barracks one night. And a guy sitting at the next bunk, who I remember, uh, he was from New York. And he was in our company, Company K. I always, I wonder if he's listening tonight. I always remember this guy. He's a great big lunky guy named Goldworm. So Goldworm says, says, uh, he says, oh man, he said, he said, I can almost taste it. He says, wow. He said, boy, would I love to get in New York tonight. And here it was, the first night we had arrived. And we're in the barracks, and I said, uh, gee, uh, yeah, that would be great. And he says, oh man, he says, I know about 5,000 checks I'd love to see tonight. Oh, wow. And, uh, Oh, wow. And uh, at that point, he says to me, he says, he says, when was the last time you were in New York? I said, I've never been in New York. He never been in New York. He couldn't believe it. I says, no, I've never even been to New York. And here we were sitting in Fort Monmouth. Well, the next week, I came into New York with Goldworm and Gasser, these other two guys from the company. We hitchhiked in, and there was no money at all. And they were giving us only six-hour leaves because this this company that we were in was a very secret company. And they wouldn't let us out. They would only let a small number of guys out each time. They would leave us out. So we had our six hours. So we came into New York, and I remember getting out uh, off the back of a truck. This guy took us in over here by the Port Authority. We jumped off the truck <laughs> and walked. Uh, we walked east. And I suspect it was about 40th Street or 41st Street. And I looked around. I said, you know, all these buildings and everything else stretching to the sky. And, and I felt, a, I hate to tell you this, a profound disappointment. Because it looked like Chicago, <laughs> where I had spent, uh, you know, most of my life. I looked at Somehow I thought New York would have a certain curious magic to it. But it turned out to look just like, a, like Chicago. I walked along and, and uh, gassed her had never been to either Chicago or New York, so he was really completely knocked out. He said, oh, my God, look at this. Fantastic. I said, I don't know. Yeah, you know I'm walking along there. You know, they were very hip, you know, I don't know. So that was the first time I ever saw New York. And I, and I remember even how the light was. It, it, it hit me a certain way. The light was late uh, December light, you know, that, that sort of uh, yellowish-orange light. It was not, uh, it was not cloudy. The, the uh, sun was at a low angle, and the wind was blowing. It was cold and bitter, and we walked around the town, and we just went back and hitchhiked back. That was it. That was our first day there. But it stuck with me, that New York thing. And during that week, there was a company announcement. Of course, everyone wanted to get home for Christmas. It's one of the big deals, you know, in the armed services, get home for Christmas. 
and uh, everybody wanted to get home. Well, uh, there was a rule in this company, Company K in Signal Corps there, the 3162nd, uh, there was a rule that only one-third of the company would be allowed to have a three-day pass at any given time. I suspect that rule still holds in many companies. So they, they just posted the list. That's it. There was, no, there was no, uh, no recourse, no going back. That's it. The list was posted. And I wasn't on the list. Neither was Gasser. No pass. No three-day pass. Well, Christmas was, uh, I believe, on a Saturday or a Sunday that day. It was a Friday or a Saturday. It was around the weekend anyway. And so we simply were not getting out. Well, during the early part of the week, uh, the the uh, first sergeant had all of us in the barracks there, you know, and uh, he comes in. Kowalski says, all right, and he says, well, listen, you guys, we're going to have a we're going to have a Christmas party here in the company. For all you guys that ain't got no pass, there's going to be a Christmas party. And uh, I want this uh, barracks here policed up and GI'd. I want this place cleaned up for the party. We're going to have a lot of fun, right? And I want all of you guys to police up the barracks here. I want you guys to, to get ready to have a lot of fun on Christmas. We're going to use some of the company funds. We're going to have a Christmas party. Well, he goes stomping out. Well, we're going to have a party. Now, uh, Part of the party, of course, was uh, was uh, usually they give you they give you the chance to sleep late. You don't have to get up early in the morning or any of this stuff. And so the day before Christmas, the day before Christmas, uh, we're we're sitting in the barracks that night, and all the guys that were off were packed and were 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 cutting out. These guys were leaving for three day passes all over the country. They were they were splitting, and they were all going over to McGuire Air Force Base which is where you could get planes. You know, the, the Air Force was flying planes around. They always had usual planes, and you could hitchhike a ride. If you lived in Chicago, you get on a plane going out to Chicago, a military plane. So uh, they were all cutting out. Oh, they were, you know, the guys were carrying Christmas presents. We're sitting around the barracks. We're stuck. Crummy. So, <laughs> all right. So they're all gone by 8 o'clock that night. This was the day before Christmas. And there's nobody left but us chickens. The guys that lost the great, uh, the, the, the great uh, Irish sweepstakes of the Christmas past. The guys that lost the, the, the punch bowl of the time. We're just sitting there in our, our barracks, bags and stuff, just fooling around. And it was cold. Oh, boy, can it get cold. We were living in a tent, incidentally, at that point. They'd moved us during the week. And they put us in these tents because we were about to ship immediately following the Christmas, New Year's holidays. We were going to go somewhere. So they put us in what they called a, uh, a ready area. This was a, a whole series of ice-cold tents. And I'm telling you, I don't know whether you've ever spent a Christmas in a tent. I mean, against your will. Now, a lot of people go camping. That's not the same thing, friend. <laughs> not the same and you get you get so that you're totally inured to cold. We uh, you, really, I'm, I'm going to say this to you: if, you, if uh, you're worried about getting cold this winter, you know all this business of the of the uh, energy crisis, you'd be surprised how quickly your body gets uh, used to cold. And I'm talking about comparative cold all the time, all the time. It was always cold in the tent. It was, uh, and the wind would would blow over the top of the canvas. And you could just hear the canvas flapping. It was always cold. So we're sitting in the tent, and uh, 
gas is sitting there. I remember Edwards was sitting there. It was, it was the night before Christmas, and uh, we were going to have this big Christmas party the next day in the company. Now, I don't know whether you've ever had a Christmas party in a mess hall. They have a certain charm. They really do. I hate to say this. They do. Because adversity draws people together. <laughs> That's the truth. Well, we're sitting there, and when, when uh, we hear this clumping along out on the wooden, they had these uh, wooden walkways out in front of the tents. So you had this clumping out there, and uh, his head sticks in, and it's this corporal, the duty corporal. He says, hey, he said, uh, you, you shepherd. I said, yeah. He says, the gasser, Edwards. So come on down to the early room. They got something down there for you. And so we, you know, we got up. We put on our coats. And we went trotting down to the early room, figuring it was another crummy detail we're pulling. We get down to the early room. There's about 50 other guys down there, and it turns out that somehow, through some curious uh, moment of uh, beneficence, some moment of uh, of total uh, charity, uh, the, <laughs> the the command has decided to give 24-hour passes to a certain selected people, you know, just let's give out some more passes is what they say, 24-hour passes. So we had a pass. So I came back, and it was totally unexpected. See, pass, what is this pass? We came, because, you know, when, you, when your mind is set that you're not going to get anything, your mind gets set that way, and you just sort of accept it. And the next thing you know, you're just worrying about getting another sandwich. That's about all, you know, you're not worried about going out. But here we've got a pass, totally unacceptable, totally, totally without any uh, any explanation. We're very excited about it. We can run it back. We put on our clothes, We're, you know, first class A uniform. And unfortunately, I might say this: that due to the fact that I was not going to get a pass, and I had uh, I had resigned myself to that fact, I had not sent my uniform to the cleaners. Well, I had as gamey a class A uniform as has ever come. <laughs> I mean, I had I mean, really gamey. See, so the hell with that. So I put on my uniform, and, and the gasser's getting dressed. Because you don't ever, you don't ever uh, take the risk that they're going to change their mind. When you get a pass in your head, you go, man. You don't, you, you do not argue. And you, we didn't know where we were going to go. By the way, there was a there was one stipulation: we had to stay within a seventy-five mile radius of the camp. That was part of this twenty-four hour pass. So. Twenty minutes later, we are out on the highway, hitchhiking to New York. This was Christmas, remember, and this was the night before Christmas, which would make it, uh, well, Christmas Eve, really. <laughs> it's tonight. It's Christmas Eve, and here we were. We were. We were dumbfounded because here we were. We were uh, suddenly released from the uh, company party. And we're out there on the highway hitchhiking. It was cold and windy. These cars and trucks are going by us. And I don't know. I don't remember what highway or what we were on. But we were on the main road that eventually gets to New York out of Fort Monmouth. I don't know where it was. Because <laughs> I, I just remember standing out there and hitchhiking. And finally, along comes, along comes a guy in a Studebaker. And he pulls up to us. And he slews to a stop, and he says, All right, hey, come on, let's go. Get in, you guys. A real Jersey, I'd say. We pile into the car, and he says, Where are you guys going? And uh, we says, We're going into New York. He says, Where in New York? He says, oh, yeah, you're just New York. You know, we were that naive. You just go to New York. You know, New York could be Queens, Staten Island, anything. We're just going to New York. He says, All right, he says, I'm driving in. So uh, 
we, we're, we're sitting in the back seat of the car, and the wind is blowing, and we're going up over. I remember we went up over over uh, US 1 for a while. I remember being on US 1. That impressed me. Because, uh, you know, US 1, that's the number one. <laughs> one. You know? And we, we're driving through all the trucks and stuff. And finally, he says, okay, he says, here I am. We went through a tunnel, I remember. And we are out in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Well, uh, I had never been to Brooklyn before. Brooklyn, to me, was a legendary place. It was a place they always made jokes about on the radio shows. And uh, before we go any further, by the way, speaking of, uh, of uh, making merry, we have here another Your Father's Mustache spot. And if you're looking for a place over this Christmas holiday where the beer is good and the music is good and the people are warm and it's going to be a nice, uh, you know, time... I would suggest that you drop by your father's mustache at Seventh Avenue and Tenth Street in the Village. They have uh, they have really good uh, well, they have Dixieland if you dig Dixie. They have a lot of banjo players and they sing and they have shrimp and chicken and burgers and a lot of beer. They they, they serve beer there till hell for, would never freeze over, you know. So this is at the corner of Seventh Avenue and Tenth Street. It's called Your Father's Mustache. It's famous all over the world, and they're there and they're ready to welcome you with open arms over this Christmas holiday. But uh, speaking of welcoming us with Christmas holiday and charms, we, we couldn't figure out how the hell to get out of Brooklyn. Now, when you have never been in Brooklyn before, you don't know anything about New York, this is a real mystery. So we're walking down the street. It's cold. Wow. I never realized it could be that cold in New York. It's cold. We're walking along. And we are so glad to be out. I mean, just absolutely fantastically glad be out of the camp. Uh, we're walking along the street, and we're asking people how to get to New York. Well, says, you're in New York, and it's Brooklyn. I said, no, we want, to go to, we want to go to Manhattan, you know. So we finally wind up on a subway. Now, I had never been on a subway before. Uh, <laughs> and, and we didn't know, you know, the, anything about subways. One guy was from California. Gasser was from California. Uh, I, was from, I was from the Midwest, and, and Edwards was from someplace up in Maryland. We didn't know anything about the, the subway. And, and we got on the damn subway, and we went the wrong way. I remember sitting on that subway hour after hour, people getting in and out, and all of a sudden it stopped. We are way down by Coney Island someplace. We're way out in the boondocks. Fifty times colder. We got out walking around. It didn't look like New York. We asked people how to get to Manhattan. We wandered back down through the subway, bought another subway token, and went the other way. Another five hours, it seemed like. And finally, the thing disgorged us right in the middle of Times Square on Christmas Eve. Well, there was hardly anybody there. You know how it is on Christmas Eve? The town almost empties out. And we wandered around, didn't know what to do. It's about 8, 9 o'clock, and, and uh, they were playing recorded carols out of shops and stores. And we wandered over to a canteen, you know, the USO. We went over to the USO. And there were a lot of nice ladies playing trombones and singing Christmas carols. This is not exactly what we had in mind <laughs> for Christmas. But we sat there and ate tuna salad sandwich sandwiches, and in came a G.I. Santa Claus. Have you ever seen a G.I. Santa Claus? The USO had a Santa Claus. And the Santa Claus came in, and he goes, ho, 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 and he gave us Christmas gifts. And remember, Santa Claus handed me a Christmas gift, and uh, what was it? It was the Christmas gift that all G.I.s hate to get. It was a money belt. They keep giving you money belts, you know, the kind that you strap around you. The one thing that the G.I.s never had was money. 
So having a money belt was totally academic. So <laughs> I said, well, you know, great. And I ate some more tuna salad sandwiches. And we walked over to the desk and asked the desk if, if they had any tickets to anything. They were giving out tickets to various shows. And uh, they asked us, uh, what we, and, and sure enough, I, I got a ticket to a hockey game. It was the first big league hockey game I ever saw, and we went to see the, the New York Rangers were playing the Boston Hockey Club. They were playing the Boston uh, uh, Club, and, and I remember amazed, you see, at, at this fantastic arena. We were in Madison Square Garden sitting there watching the hockey. Well, the hockey game went on and on and on, and uh, we didn't know much about hockey. We just sat there and watched the hockey game. <laughs> and, and that that night, after the hockey game, we came back out. We had no place to stay. We had 24 hours, no place to live in. And we wandered around back to the USO. It was Christmas Eve. And I had my money belt in my hand. Christmas Santa Clauses were standing on the corner rattling bells at us. We got back to the USO, and somebody said, here's a place to stay. Gave us two tickets. And that night, that Christmas Eve, I spent sleeping in the swimming pool, the empty swimming pool of a midtown New York hotel. Free. <laughs> we slept. Yeah, they had cots in the swimming pool. And, and they were taking GIs in free on this Christmas Eve. And, and we, we registered at the desk. You had to register, I remember. And they sent us down to the swimming pool. We went down, climbed down the ladder. And, re and and put our stuff on the on the cots and sat on the edge of the cots with my money belt, and I couldn't believe it. In came Santa Claus again. The hotel had a Santa Claus for all the GIs that were sleeping in the swimming pool. <laughs> and Santa Claus gave it ho ho ho, and uh, he walked up and down and he gave us gifts. And I I I, I got this this Christmas stocking. It was a red Christmas stocking, and in the Christmas stocking was something I really wanted. It was another money belt. So uh, <laughs> I had my money belt, and it was a package of razor blades in there. And, uh, yeah, you know, stuff, the real romantic stuff. There was a package of razor blades, and there was some Life Boy soap. Really great stuff. You, you, you can use that. And uh, Santa Claus walked up and down, gave us hard candy, and I sat on the edge of the bunk. It was Christmas Eve. I looked over, there's Gasser. He's got his money belt. And uh, he's taking off his jump shoes. And I says, Gasser, Merry Christmas. And he says, Shepard, Merry Christmas. Where's Edward? I says, well, he's in the john. He'll be out. He was always going to the john. He came back out. I says, Merry Christmas, Edwards. And Company K's elite celebrated Christmas Eve in a swimming pool in the Henry Hudson Hotel in Midtown, New York. And they come and go. Merry Christmas, gang. Hang in there good. And uh, think clean thoughts. What do you say?